your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, I am Betsy Hicks and welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Today's show is on how to get reimbursed from your medical insurance company when treating autism. And my guest is the wonderful Gail Borgard. After suffering and recovering from a terminal illness, Gail learned how to speak the lingo and pound the insurance companies for what is deserved reimbursement. Now she runs MediClaim Consultants, and her successful business is responsible for returning hundreds of thousands of dollars to her clients and in her kind of, dare I say, relentless approach. Uh, today we'll talk about some of those tools as well as how to appeal when you've been turned down. Gail, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Betsy. Gail is a long-time friend of mine. I've been working with you, Gail, for, oh, I can't, it's been probably close yeah. to 10 years <laughs> at this point. Um, and you've grown, I've grown, we've learned a lot in the process, um, and I, and I want people to know, too, if they want a more, because um, on, on my other radio show with Autism One, I did a three-part series with Gail. So if you're not getting all the questions that you want answered today, um, please visit my website at pathwaysmed.com. And under media, you can see my past shows that I've done with Gail, and there's three of them, and they're wonderful. It's pathways with an S, M-E-D.com. Going on. We don't have a lot of time, Gail, today to talk about insurance policies, but it's important that people at least understand that there's a major difference in fighting when you have an HMO and fighting when you have a PPO. Correct. So can you just basically break that down very quickly, you know, what, what we're talking about when we're talking about going on to, with your insurance company? Okay. The first thing most people really need to know is to know their policy. They need to look at it, understand, is it an HMO? It is, is it a PPO? HMO being you have to stay within the network. PPO be, being you're with a preferred provider organization, but you can go out of that organization. Or the new plan that a lot of people have now is a POS or a point of service, which is like an HMO, but you can go out of the network with referrals. So that's very important one to know what you need to know. And will, will doctors in a network Give a referral outside the network. I, th- this is where I think the frustration comes in, is that most of the doctors in the network aren't willing to give that referral. The best way to try to get that referral is to do the homework yourself first. When you go into your doctor and you want a referral somewhere else, go in and say, I've done the research. There is no one in the network that does this type of procedure, be it testing, be it uh, therapies, whatever. And then you can say, there isn't anyone in the network. I definitely need a referral out of network. Okay. That's the best approach to take. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So then talking about the policy itself and understanding that. 
The next thing you want to look at is, one, is your provider going to be in the network or out of network? Where most people get themselves in trouble is they don't do that. They just assume everything is going to be in network. And then when they start to get the bills and they're not being paid the way they think they should be paid, they're very upset because they owe a lot more money than they think they should owe. Or if they did their homework first, they would know, they could plan for it. It makes it much less stressful for most families. So what you want to look at is, one, is the provider in network. Fine, they'll accept the negotiated rate. But most pediatric providers, especially when you get into autism, aren't in networks. So what you want to look at is how does your plan pay out of network providers? Most plans in the past, and there still are plans out there like that, you could call around, they'd say, let's just take an easy figure, that $100 was a normal fee. That's what they would consider usual and customary. Okay. Well, if your provider is charging 150 he's probably more than justified for charging it to start out with. But then you want to call around other providers with the same credentials and find out what they're charging. The odds are you're going to find out that they charge the same amount, if not more, what your, your provider is charging. Normally then you would go in and you would write a letter saying, Dr. X, Dr. Y, Dr. Z, here's what they charge. My doctor charges 150. These doctors charge anywhere from 150 to 250. Therefore, Mine is not above the usual and customary. That's the first way you can fight. Okay. The second way, and most times that will work, unless a lot of the newer policies, if you read the fine print in the policies on what's covered, they will say their usual and customary fee is the negotiated rate that they have with their in-network providers. Oh. So you need to be very aware of that if it's in your policy. If that's how your policy is written, you can't fight. There isn't a fight. So you have to make yourself aware of that up front. One way to help that, which is why you want to know it up front, is talk to the provider you're going to. Let them know your financial situation. They're in the business because they want to help you. Right. Many times they'll work with you. Sometimes they'll accept the negotiated rate for you, whatever your company is going to cover, or they'll set up a reasonable payment plan that's acceptable to both of you. So that's very important to know that because what will happen when you get your claims back, it'll say, this doctor, we're only going to accept this rate. And if your deductible for out-of-network, let's say, is 30%, which is fairly common, if they're going to allow $100 in-network, they're only going to allow $100 if you go out of network. If you were in the network, they pay 80% of that 100 But because you've gone out of network, they're only going to pay 30% of that 100 So you need to know that that's all they're going to pay. If the bill was $150, let us say, they're going to pay $70 or deduct 30% of that $100. You're going to owe that $30 plus the $50 above and beyond. So you're going to owe $80 of that 150 wow. To make it easier for yourself, do the research up front. Okay. Then you have less stress. Now, Gail, I know we may be talking about this more in the appeals part of our conversation. Right. But I do have a question, and I don't know if this is the best time to address it, is that if you are upset with your policy, if you're looking at your policy and saying, this is just, this is so unfair, this is not a good policy at all, 
Right. Should you at that point go to the company of which who's providing it? For example, if you're if it's your company, if it's your husband's company, your wife's company, what it is, should you should you make that a point to? Oh, well, sure you should. Okay. Sure you should, but most points. Sometimes they will do it. They'll meet with you beforehand. Most companies want to know what happens when you submit it, which okay. is harder for families. That's why I suggest you know up front, so, so you're not you're not so okay. pressured. You can okay. plan and save a little bit. But then you go to the company and say, you know, I really appreciate you're paying these benefits. This policy is supposed to be so good, but you know what? It's not doing any good for any of us. Approach that way. Don't go don't. in saying, these yeah. idiots, they're not paying me. Right. Go in with the approach, you're helping me, but you think you're helping me, but in reality, this company's stopping you from helping me. I would think, in many cases, you've got an open ear to that. Because, yes. Because they don't, I mean, they are, they're paying a lot of money to have these policies for right their uh, staff, and they, they want to get feedback. Such they, want, they want to get it back, and I was going to talk about that more when we get into okay. the last we can, appeals. We can part. talk more about that in a little bit. Right. Now, to make it easier for you, but the first part here is I'm making it easier for you. One, know your policy. When you're going to send in claims, make it easy on yourself. Make copies of the bills. Never send the original because when you when they lose the original or if it gets lost in the mail, it's harder to make a copy of a copy. Right. Make copies of your claim forms. What you want to do is fill out one claim form. Do not fill out the diagnosis section. That will be on a bill from a provider. Fill everything out. Your name's not changing. Your date of birth isn't changing. Your Social Security or your insurance ID number normally doesn't change very easily. Make yourself 50 or 75 copies. Don't sign the original. When you get a bill, make a copy of the bill. Take one of your photocopy claim forms, sign the bottom and date it. Put it in an envelope. Have labels made that go to the insurance company so that saves you a lot of time. Put the label on it, put a stamp on it, and mail it out. This is such important You'll advice. Get your I money back fast. I want people to hear this because this is so important. The... When, when they're dealing with a child with autism, they're so overwhelmed. We Correct. are so overwhelmed to begin with. And to add one more piece to it is is just too much to understand. Right. But this is what she's saying, I make sure everybody understands, is one, you take that insurance form, fill out everything that can, that doesn't, is not going to be changed. Make a bunch of copies. This is great, great advice to use. Gail, one of the best pieces of advice you gave me, I'm going to save until after break because we are going to have to break in a very <laughs> short time. So I want to make sure people people stay tuned. Um, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about you know how to make a claim and what's going to happen when you have to make an appeal. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Gail Borgard. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child 
who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Hi, welcome back. We're here today with Gail Borgard, and we're talking about... uh, how to get reimbursement from your medical insurance company. Uh, one of the last pieces of advice we were speaking of, Gail, is, is how to make a claim. Um, but can you please tell everybody something that really has helped so many of my patients and even myself quite a bit is when you make a claim, why it's so important to make it one claim at a time. Right. most important thing that I tell people, again, send one claim per envelope. One claim could be one month of services, but not, oh, I've put six months together and I'm being so good and I'm sending them in. Most claim clerks get evaluated on how many envelopes they process, not how many claims they process. So if you put ten claims in an envelope, numerous things can happen. One, it's like, oh, I don't want to process ten in one envelope. Goes in the shredder. shredder. It gets in the shredder or gets in the the G file. The next would be if it gets lost in the mail. Do you want ten claims lost in one envelope? Or do you want one envelope lost with one claim? So it's really important, and I I can never stress this enough to people, one claim per envelope. It may cost you a little more in postage, but you will save it in the long run. Plus, it's easier to track claims. 
when claims start coming back and one claim matches one bill rather than one claim matching ten different bills, yeah, which bills did it which can get you crazy. Right. Because right. then it's harder to keep them straight. One claim, one bill, it's very easy to track. And when you sent them in, and say you send a bunch in in February, and then in March you get most of them back, but you're missing two or three. You know those two or three are lost. Resend them again. The worst that happens is they tell you it's a duplicate and they got processed to start out with. But you want to get your reimbursement back because therapies and doctors and testing cost a lot of money for most families. It's a lot of money laid out of pocket. You want to get that money back as soon as possible. The next thing, when you get that money back, you want to read your explanation of benefits. I cannot tell you how many calls I get that people say, oh, they covered the whole $100 or they covered the whole $200. Why didn't I get that money back? Why didn't I get $200 back? I only got 140 back out of the 200 Well, that's where you get into your coinsurance that we mentioned or your deductibles. You have to look and see what coinsurance did they take and was it correct. Quite often, I bet you 20 to 30% of the time, the coinsurance isn't correct. So you want to know if they've done it correctly. You want to know did they cover it correctly. For therapies, especially speech, not so much speech, but occupational and physical therapy, therapies are by units. A therapy session is four units. You send a bill in for $150, that should, the bill should read four units at $37.50 each. The insurance company only picks up the one unit at $150 and kicks it out. So you need to call the insurance company and say, excuse me, this was four units. You should be covering it in full. It's wonderful you cover $50 a unit, but that's not how you did this. That's one of the most common errors that families don't know how to fight, just to call them up and make them look at the bill. Right. And if it's not on the bill, make your provider do a corrected bill, or don't make ask politely for your provider to do a corrected bill and send it in with the units and send it with a note saying this is a corrected bill. So that's very, very important that you read the explanation of benefits. You want to track your deductibles and coinsurance on the explanation of benefits. So if your deductible is, say, $500 a year, which means they're going to take the first $500 of whatever claims you put in, you're going to have to pay. After that, you have coinsurance, which is probably another $1,500, let's say. So your maximum out of pocket should be $2,000 if you're in network. If you're out of network, that, that out of pocket could go up to as much as four or 5000 but you want to track that, and when you know when you've reached those total dollars, mark a note somewhere. I've paid out X amount of dollars. Most families with children with special needs, by February March, they've reached all those deductibles. Well, you've got all that there. Start sending in your claims, and you're sending them in in June and July. All of a sudden, you see a little deductible here, a little coinsurance there. It's not unusual to get overcharged on your deductible and coinsurance. So you want to call the company and say, excuse me, but I've already met this. Tell them the date that you met it, what the date of service was, and make them go back and correct it. Gail, say, you're... Oh, we have a problem. Right. <laughs> you know, you are always so polite, and as, as tough as you are because you know the rules, you're always polite and courteous to those who you speak with. Always, and, always. And I want something else that I think is important is, is your advice on if you get somebody at your insurance company who is being extremely...
extremely unkind and not polite and uncooperative. Correct. What is your advice? My advice is say, oh, excuse me, my other phone is ringing. I have to go. I'll have to call you back. Hang up, call back, get someone nice. <laughs> you don't need the aggravation. You have enough stress already. <laughs> so why, why aggravate yourself? Plus, if you're nasty to a claims clerk, you're not getting processed. You're going somewhere else. Believe me, your paperwork, it's not going in the computer the way it should. When you call the insurance company, you always want to get the name of the person you're talking to. So that when you call back, if they don't do what they're supposed to do, you can say, I talked to so-and-so, mark the data on your explanation of benefits, who you talked to, what you talked about, and the time. Yes. Some companies you can ask them what station they're at. Not necessarily an extension, but what station they're at. So the more information you can get on the person you're talking to, the better. Because when you call back and say, oh, they'll say, I can't find any of this. Oh, but I talked to so-and-so on such-and-such a date, and their station number was. And you know what? They're more. They're going to be more accountable having you ask them. Right. Because Much more accountable. And, again, like I said in the first segment, the more you know about your policy, the better off you are. Right. Their first assumption is you have no idea what you're talking about, and they're going to give you a pat set of answers for things. Don't accept those pat set of answers if you know you're correct. Yeah, let's... Let's switch our talk here, going a bit towards autism. And you've done a lot of work with autism, including with my son in the past. And I, um, can you give some advice as to the coding and terminology that needs to be used when you're when you're dealing with treating? Because if you're, at least on this show, what I don't know what your consensus is as a listener out there, but we definitely believe that there heavy metal toxicity is one big piece in many of the children, not all the children, but many of the children that we're dealing with. Correct. So, One of the things I do say is talk to your provider okay. and say, this, you know, this is what my child has. My policy, if you read your policy, most likely will say it doesn't cover autism. It's very, very common. But you know what? You're treating the cause of the autism, exactly. not the autism itself. Exactly. So you have to get to the base cause of it. So work with your provider and say, you know, I believe my child could have been exposed to toxic materials or hazardous materials. Can we work with that? And if your provider is comfortable, you have to find something you're both comfortable with. You want them to use the diagnosis that are going to get paid from your policy that are applicable to your child. You don't want to do anything with the fraudulent, but you want to work with what what is there. Most times they don't look past that first thing that they see. But when you start talking with them, they'll go, Oh yeah, that that it makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. This is right. So work with them to get the proper diagnosis, especially when you're going for therapies. Is your child low muscle tone? Does your child have motor processing problems, which is not unusual? Does your child has your child been exposed to hazardous materials? The importance of that is when you send in all the te- lab tests. Insurance companies love to kick the lab tests. So if you can put a justifiable code that they're not going to kick that is correct, you have a much better chance of getting paid. So don't always assume that the first thing out is the right diagnosis to use on a bill. Always question. Definitely. I actually have license plates that say question it. (laughs) I do. (laughs) That's good. You need to ask questions. Most providers will take the time and work with you. 
They want to see your child get the help that your child needs. And if you can't afford it, they know the child isn't going to get the help. You know, when when I see children not get diagnosed anymore with the autism spectrum and, and because they're having a hard time getting diagnoses, hospitals are being told not to diagnose autism, do something else, give them some right. type diagnosis. But how do you justify constipation, diarrhea, without it being a digestive disorder. Those are all, those are other people. Well, that could be a spastic colon. It could be colon problems of no known origin. Right. There's a lot of other things out there, quite a few other things now, out Gail, there. Now, Gail, I one time had an insurance company say to me, we don't cover a lab test unless the result would be ordering a drug. And that's wrong. You fight that on the, on, on the basis of, should I not get a lab test because it might be wrong and prove my child has some other problem, or should I not get a lab test and my child doesn't get the help that my child needs? Right. And then, do you want to be liable? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You have to work it that way. Excuse me, if someone, and it goes as simple as, and I take it back to a simple way, someone gets a heart test because... They might have a blockage. Well, you didn't do the block. You didn't do the heart test because the blockage that you didn't find a bl- they they weren't going to pay if you didn't find a blockage. Yeah, it's right. That simple. Yeah, that's. But most simple. people don't think of that. They try to make it complicated, and you have to take it to that point. And those are the points that you'd want to go, like we t- you said earlier, to your employer and say, "Excuse me, my child needs these tests. We need to find out what's wrong." But they don't want to pay unless he actually does have a problem. Gail, do you think they'd be happy he doesn't? <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. So tell me, do you try to, what do you do to educate now? Because I know years ago, I mean, you, you'll send them faxes of 50 pages of the latest research of something. Right. I still do that. Okay. I recommend that people, that the parents talk to their providers. One, ask, do you have any research to back these tests? So that if I have a problem with my insurance company, I can send all this in. Talk to the labs that do the tests. The labs that say, what research do you have to back these tests? A lot of times it's a combination of the two. You get some from one, some from another. I always like, if possible, to send them more paperwork than they want to read. (laughs) Good advice. There's got to be something in there that that they can't refute, but they don't want to retake all the time to do it. Yeah. Okay, it's a game. Well, <laughs> it, it is a game, and we're going to talk more about that wonderful game when we get back here. Just a moment with Gail Borgard. Don't go away. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who 
plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Welcome back. We're here with Gail Borgard, a MediClaim consultant, and speaking about how to get reimbursement from your medical insurance company. We've been talking about right a moment ago of trying to educate your insurance company if um, sending them information. What else do you have to add to that? Well, one of the things, when you get tests done, you, you want to try to send in research with it. You also want to send a prescription in. You're less likely to get it denied if it goes in with a prescription Great. rather than them saying, oh, we don't have the prescription and then playing those kind of games with them. And when you get into prescriptions, it's really, really important for anything you get for your child. You want to get prescriptions right up front big thing that a lot of a lot of kids need are augmentative equipment. You want a prescription that's written specifically for a speech device. And how you get that covered by your insurance company, and this is a major thing for a lot of families, especially as your child gets older, you call your company and ask them point blank. Don't ask them about augmentative equipment. Do you follow Medicare guidelines? 99% of the time they will tell you, Yes, of course we follow Medicare guidelines. Why wouldn't we follow Medicare guidelines? Good. When you send your your bill in for your augmentative equipment, if first you may need preauthorization. Again, if you've checked your policy, you'll know if you need preauthorization or not, or call and see if you need preauthorization. Otherwise, when you send it in, one, make sure that the provider who's selling you the equipment has used a Medicare acceptable code for that piece of equipment. Two, send it in with the prescription at the same time. Let them know on the prescription that this is covered by Medicare. 
you have a much better chance of getting it covered. They will not cover equipment that plays games or does laptop, computer. It has to be strictly a speech piece of equipment, but they will cover. But you have to know, you have to, again, know up front. Know what's going to be covered, and you know that the Medicare guidelines do cover augmentative equipment. Having copies of those prescriptions are also important for those doing taxes at the end of the year. Yes. If, you're, have, if you have those prescriptions and you do get audited and you have declared that you bought equipment for your child but the doctor has written a prescription for that equipment, even if insurance doesn't cover it, it can be tax deductible. Right. Correct. Again, I keep the originals. I send the copies to the insurance company. Yes. And then you just have all that together when you do your thing. Be it if you need benches, if you need chairs, if you need swings, whatever you need, get a prescription for it. That's so, so important. People say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it is when you add up a little here, a little there. Keep track of all your mileage to and from all your providers. Swimming pools. That can be written off at the end of the year. For children with autism, swimming pools. As well. Pool. They usually will not be able to write off the full cost exactly. of the pool. Usually about 50%, anywhere from 30 to 50%. Exactly. Depending yes. how big your family is. Exactly. They, you want to work with your, your, your um, accountant on that. You want to submit it to insurance, even if you know out front they're going to deny, because then you can prove you did not get reimbursed for it. Oh. That's a key element. Send everything in. Let okay. them deny it, even if it's, if it's written in your policy they're going to deny it, let them deny it anyway. Then you have proof for taxes, and that can be a big thing. I used to look at my taxes as a vacation every year <laughs> for what I get back. I thought, yeah, this is what I'm getting back for all of this. The hard work. Yeah, whatever I could write off, and you know, there's a lot of legitimate costs out there you can write off. If you travel out of town, there's things you can write off. You get a per diem, you get a car rental fee. You get all kinds of things that you can write off. If you're going to spend it anyway, at least learn how to use it to your advantage. Okay. I be- really believe in that. Now, when you send things in and you get denials, one, it's very important you respond to the denials in a timely manner. Key thing, make sure, even if you're not going to be able to get to your doctor's letters and things to them, some companies give you enough time, some really don't. You know, if it's vacation time of year, especially doctors are out of town, people are out of town. Let them know you plan to appeal. I always send that FedEx, UPS, or certified mail, something they have to sign for. Plus, I send it two ways. By federal law, if you send something two ways, they can't say they didn't get it. So I usually will put right on the letter via facsimile and private mail carrier or whatever so that you, you let them know I'm working on an appeal it's going to take time my providers are out of town okay. let them know let them know you're planning to do something you can't just do nothing and then wait till the time is lapsed some companies are generous about still allowing you to appeal some companies just draw the line and they're done okay. and you won't know that until you start to appeal how they're going to be You won't, it depends which office the paperwork goes to So you want to do that in a timely manner. For the letters of medical necessity, I usually recommend that you put something in writing so your doctor is not just going from the dark. He doesn't know your policy, you do. 
I try to take the terms that they use in their letter to deny and use them back against them. A lot of times they'll say it's maintenance therapy or it's experimental. Again, that's where that research comes in handy. Maintenance therapy, you want to make sure that the doctor says, which is the truth, your child is progressing. Your child is making improvement. So a doctor doesn't know that they're going to necessarily have to put that in there. Most doctors aren't trained to write letters of medical necessity. They're trained to treat. Letter writing is not their, their strong suit. So at least let them know what you're looking for. Give them a sample of the letter you want. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, working in the, with my husband in this situation, we always ask, if you know what your insurance company wants, either make it in bullet points, write right. a sample letter that can be changed around, whatever right. it might be, but that will assure that you're going to get a letter a lot faster. A lot faster. Yeah. Yes. Because otherwise, they're, they're like anybody else, just trying to create it out of their mind. Not everybody's made to write letters. Right. It's not an easy thing. But it's much easier to edit, add on to, or delete from somebody's ideas. Definitely. So you'll get your letter back instead of a couple weeks, usually in a few days to a week. Right. comes back ten times faster. Again, I cannot stress how, how important it is to do it in a timely manner. Now, one of the things that a lot of people want to do is they want to overkill on an appeal. If they've only asked for item A, B, or C, don't offer D, E, and F. Because what are you going to use if they deny the first appeal? You've used the rest of your, as they say in cards, laid out your entire hand. Okay, now I'm confused, that. Gail. What, what, give me an example of what you're talking about right now. If they're asking specifically for provider report. Okay. Okay. Oh, I see. Don't give them school. One, never give them school reports. Never, never, never. Okay. They don't pay for them. They don't have a right to them. Okay. They'll ask for them because school reports are written very different than insurance reports. Right. I cannot tell you how yeah, many people school, call Oh, I sent them the school report. Yeah, oh, no. The school is trying to make your child sound as good as possible. <laughs> where, right. where well, not even as good as possible. They're trying to make them sound the way they have to say to get reimbursement from exactly. their state. Exactly, exactly. So it may be a lot different than yes. what the actual reality of the situation is. And remember, schools only have to pay for what's appropriate within the school environment. That's not why your child's getting private therapy. They're getting private therapy to help their life, yes. not just school. There's a lot more to life than just school. Right. So the, the school reports are very, very different. But you want to give them, if they're asking for certain medical reports or certain testing, only give them that. Don't give them more. The only thing you want to always say is this is a medically necessary treatment to restore function, restore being the key word. To restore function. Good. They don't want to pay if you've never walked or talked. They don't want to pay to teach you how. But you're actually restoring function because the child does have the functional ability. So you're restoring that function. Gail, is it true that most people switch insurance companies within about three years of time? So because of that... If they're doing good, they keep them three years lately. (laughs) (laughs) Because is that... Part of the reason that there's nothing long-term that your insurance company is really interested in dealing with you or your child, uh, it's, it's, 
they figure they're only going to have you for about three years, so they just want to do it. It needs to get. They want to do it in the, in, in, in the least amount. Their goal is to. They say it's to help you. Their goal is to make the most profit they can. So the, the longer they put you off, remember, the longer they put you off for appeals, for claims, they make interest on that money every single day. And I can't tell you how many appeal letters I get from people that they put in there, well, we pay our premiums in a timely manner. They don't care. They'll cancel you if you don't pay your premiums. That's right. And they save more money. That's right. So, you, you know, those kind of things you don't want to put in appeal, you want to put... The physical nitty-gritty things that are there, very, very important. And then if you get denied again? Then you go back and give them more physical nitty-gritty things. Then if they've asked for therapist reports, you give them the goals. You give them the doctor's letters, depending what they've asked for. Now, if they say, and the biggest thing that a lot of companies kick it out now, is they say it's maintenance therapy. Prove it's not. Say, look at the report here. Look at the report here. He's worked on these goals, these goals. Now we're progressing to these goals, to higher goals. Okay. This is not maintenance. For a child, it's never maintenance. They're growing. They're changing. So, for a so child, what, what you're saying is they're farther behind before they're ahead. Okay, but so what you're saying, though, is that insurance companies usually do not pay for maintenance therapy. No, they do not. And now that's their new good... Their new common thing, they call everything maintenance. Oh. We're seeing it where two years ago you'd see it occasionally. Now you're seeing it in 60% of the denials. I guess food would be maintenance. Yeah, food is maintenance. It keeps you alive. <laughs> but then you have to say, Water. Oh, when you get into the food, if this child has allergies, this right. is what's going to happen to this child. If, and if you know what? Short short term, it's going to cost you a lot more money because they're going to be sick. They're going to have to go to the hospital. Right. All right, we're going to take another break. When we get back, we'll conclude with the wonderful Gail Borgard. Don't go away. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. 
Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Welcome back. We're here with Gail Borgard, a medical claims consultant, and talking about getting reimbursement from your medical insurance company. We've been talking now about appeals and what happens when you've been denied not once, but now, Gail, what do you do if you've been denied twice? When you get into second appeal, first, first of all, first appeal, you definitely, again, I can't say this strong enough, send a private mail carrier or a certified mail that somebody has to sign for it. I cannot tell you how many times we send them in that way, and they still say, we never got them. And we can say, excuse me, but Fred Smith signed for it at 1022 on X and X date. Oh, Oops. it's amazing how fast they find them. <laughs> on second appeal. You can't do it on first. On first appeal, anybody can read your appeal. It could be the guy just walking by. They don't have to tell you who read your appeal. It can be someone with zero medical background that just says, oh, we're not going to cover this. End of discussion. On second appeal, you have the right by federal law to specifically ask for a specialist in the field that you're appealing for to review your claims. In other words, if you're appealing for uh, gastrointestinal, specifically ask for a doctor in that field, a, a pediatric doctor in that field. Not just a, you don't want a doctor who treats geriatric issues. You want someone who deals with those types of issues. You can ask for a developmental pediatrician. You can ask for a pediatric neurologist. A pediatric neuropsychologist. And, and you can get Gail, very you know, specific. What about what about um, someone who's dealing with the more alternative approach? Can you ask? You for can that? ask for that. Yes, you can. But you're going to have to ask for someone mainstream also to go along with it. Okay. Otherwise, they'll just tell you we don't we won't hire anybody like that. They cannot tell you they don't have someone in their staff. They must, by law, find someone. It's their responsibility to pay someone. When you get your appeal back, it should say reviewed by, the, and it should say the type of doctor that reviewed that. They don't have to tell you the name of that particular physician or, or therapy provider. They do have to tell you the credentials. Quite often we get them back second appeal and they say it was appealed and we just get it back, sign some claim specialist, and it never says who did it. So we'll call up and say, okay, what were the credentials? Oh, well, we didn't do that. Well, excuse me, I specifically requested it. Oh, you really wanted that? <laughs> well, yeah, that's why we specifically requested it. <laughs> we get that all the time, all the time. You make them go back because it will save you a third appeal loss first. You make them go back and have that second appeal re-reviewed 
identify the type of provider you specifically requested. Now, do you have the rights to the notes of a meeting of that sort? Yes, you do. Okay. You have the rights to ask for all the materials they used in that denial. Oh, good. And quite often, the more things you demand, the more likely you are to get it covered. Sure. Because they don't want to have to pay extra money. It might just be easier to get this little bump in the road out of the way. Right. So that's that's really, really important. Now, if you've done three appeals, quite often third appeal. I have a client that for the third appeal, we we just kept going back. And this was a case, and this is not unusual, especially in the types of, especially in the types of tests that you're talking about. They'll come back and say, okay, we'll pay the lab, or we'll pay the x-ray, we'll pay the building facility, we'll pay the person who did the test, we won't pay the person who read the test. Excuse me, why would I get the test if no one could read the test? Right. And they'll say, you didn't pre-certify it. It took me three appeals for someone to get those finally covered. It's worth the fight. Remember with the fight, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. People are like, oh, what if they say no? Well, they've already said no. How much worse off could you be? Right. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. That's a huge, huge thing. Now, once you get past your third appeal and they're still being very nasty, by this point you should know, one, is this a regular group plan or is it a self-insured plan? And by self-insured, I mean like big companies like Procter & Gamble or Motorola. They hire, say, United Healthcare, Cigna, Blue Cross, whatever. They hire them to administer their plan. And, they, and Blue Cross only pays so much out of their funds or United or whatever out of their funds. After that, the company themselves pays the, okay. the claims. That's a self-insured company. Big difference when you go to the, your state board or your state commission of insurance. You can only go to your state board or your state commission of insurance if it's a regular group plan. If it's a self-insured plan, there's two ways you can go. And we started even doing the two ways with the regular groups. Okay. For the regular group, you go to your state board. Okay. If you're not happy there, you go to your attorney general. How do you find who and where these places are? I just look in the phone book. Okay. Or you can call your main state office, and they'll tell you. Okay. Do what, what do we have that handles insurance in this state? And they'll tell you what company All right. governs it. Well, with the few minutes we have left, what other pieces do you want to, do you want to throw our way? Well, the other things I do, if it's self-insured, you go to your attorney general in your state as well as the U.S. Department of Labor. Those are the governing boards for that. Okay. And then the most, most important thing I can tell you is always be polite, always be firm, know your policy, highlight what's important to you in your policy, so when they say it's not covered, you can say, but on page 45 of my policy, it specifically says this is covered. Oh, all of a sudden, you have a whole different attitude. When they know, you know what you're talking about. What are you are you saying this to even your attorney general, or are you just saying to this? I mean, what, tell me what a conversation with your attorney general would be. We like. have a client that a company three years ago paid ninety dollars a session for speech. Two years ago, they started paying fifty-eight dollars a session, saying that was the usual and customary. 
Now they're saying it's $29. There's nobody that's gone down like that. How can they just do that out of nowhere and they figure they can get away with it? So we've gone to the Attorney General saying, this is fraudulent. Their policy has not changed one word, yet they're allowing less and less and less every year. Right. Those are the types of things that you can go to them about. Or your policy says it should be covered and they're still fighting you, saying it's not covered. You can go to your Attorney General. That's fraud. Okay. They figure you don't know. And did it work? It's in the appeal process now, but I did one a few years back that a little boy had been hurt in a a snow skiing accident. And his insurance, he had had all his teeth, his whole mouth was all messed up. And the insurance company kept saying, we don't pay dental, we don't pay dental. And I said, yes, you do. It says in your policy for accident or injury. Oh, we don't consider that an accident. I said, what part of skiing into a tree would not be an accident? And they just fought and fought and fought. And I finally, I sent them, when I sent them a letter towards the last appeal, I, I carboned it. Yes. The state's attorney's, the um, Illinois Attorney General's office and the Illinois Board of Insurance. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, we found where it's covered. Oh, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, well, they'll tell you, we can't find the policy. And I say, excuse me, let me fax you the page. And I've done that many times. That's the way they'll, they'll just come right out and tell you, we can't find it. The and they just prove are- you have it. Are policies hard to read, Gail? I mean, are they... Not if you take them step by step. What I do when I get a policy for a client is I go through and I highlight what I think will be important for that client. And that's what you focus in on. Don't focus in on all the other mumbo-jumbo that you think you might never need. Right. Go in and focus on what is specifically covered, what is specifically excluded. If something is not specifically excluded, you have a very good chance in an appeal process. All right. But any, always be polite. Any uh, last words of advice? You have so much. <laughs> last words of advice is try to make your life easier. Yeah. Try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, the biggest thing I can tell you and that people come and tell me after I speak, and this is months or years later, oh, the way you told me to send claims, that, oh, I don't spend all my time filling out forms. Yeah. I have more time for my child. I have yeah. more time for my family. What you want to do is try to make your life as easy as possible. You have enough stress. You know, so, this is this is really important, and I I, I, you, I want people to understand that the insurance companies want you to give in. Oh, sure they do. Their hope is you'll walk away. And I did. I'll tell you what. In the past, I did. I would walk away because I was too tired. Although, if I had been given the tools and right. it was made as simple as you explained it today, I know I could have done it. But it didn't make sense to me at the time. Right. Well, they deny 30 to 40% of all claims. All are in part. Knowing less than 2% of the people ever fight them. In the appeal process, you have probably, by the time you get through third appeal, more than a 95% chance of getting things covered. Just because you're persistent. They know you're not going away. It's the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's for sure. It's as simple as that. You just have to... Really keep on them, but politely and, and with the, knowledge. That's that key word there, politely. Yeah. And that's true with anything. I well, mean, if people don't think, if you were this person, this claim clerk who really knows nothing about medical, somebody calls you up and they just start yelling at you, how much are you going to be willing to help them? Right. I always say, how are you? What kind of, what's your weather like there today? Where, you know, where are you at? What's your weather like? Oh, ours is, you know, make up a little conversation with them. 
that they become a person and you become a person. It is. It, it does. I I used to uh, send my son's insurance company a Christmas card of Joey's photo every year. Right, <laughs> like, a picture's worth a thousand words. Also, when you go to your companies, if you're really having that much of a problem, take your child in with you. Say, you know, this is my child. Tell me he doesn't need help. That's a wonderful approach to do. They, they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you really need the help. Yeah. A lot of times that's all it takes. I see people do that, or I've seen families go in with boxes and boxes and boxes of paperwork and tell the, the CEO or the president, do you realize this is what they're putting us through? Yeah. Oh, no, you know. And it's amazing how that will work, something simple like that. But people are afraid to do it. That's right. And you have nothing to lose. You don't. They're not going to fire you. That's against the law. You know it all there. Gail, thank you so much for being nice talking with you, again Betsy. for me today. I really appreciate having you on. Next week, everybody, we have Andrew Pace from Safe Building Solutions talking about toxins in your home. It's going to be a great show. Don't miss it. Thanks for all our listeners today. It was a wonderful show with Gail. By the way, to get a hold of Gail and MediClaim Consultants, Gail, what's your website? It's help, H-E-L-P, at MediClaim, M-E-D-I-C-C-L-A-I-M. There's two C's there, MediClaim. Dot com. Email it, so it's email help at medicalclaim.com. Very good. Thank you so much. Okay, Talk to you thank all you, next. Betsy. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.